everybody this is brett and i'm christian and you're listening to the gilded films podcast 1983 edition She a maniac, maniac on the floor. And you're listening to this podcast like you never have before. Hello, everybody. Hello, new listeners. If you're a new listener, what's up? My name is Christian, and welcome to the Gilded Films podcast of Which Picture Was Best? We are here today to talk about 1983, which was the 56th Academy Awards. Uh, all right of a year you'll see um yeah we had some interesting interesting movies to watch here and then of course one a really fantastic one well a couple really pretty good ones but anyway i'm christian as i said hello to brett who's here hello hello and um hello to one of uh shirley mclean's other lifetimes the one the only zay hello Oh, hold on. I have to clean up this mess that this maniac left on the floor. I don't know what <laughs> something came out of her. Hold on. God. God. Hello. Welcome back. I don't know why you keep bringing me back, but I'm here. We've been telling you that you've been going to do this year for like the past year or so. At least, At least. I think last January is like when you were planning this shit out. Yeah. Yeah. And we're at finally least. at this moment. So. I mean, the writer's strike and last summer <laughs> really put, put you guys down. So I, I get it. Well, thanks for coming back, I guess. And like I said, you're one of Shirley MacLaine's other lifetimes. So there you go. I hope people out there know the reference to that, but if you don't, sorry for you. Brett looks confused. Girl. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yes, we are talking about 1983. Um, Academy Awards that occurred on April 9th, 1984. This was a pretty late one. Um, there was definitely one big winner of the night it was terms of endearment it won best picture it won best director for james l brooks uh on his first nominations because this was his debut directorial effort so big debut for him uh shirley mclean won best actress for the film this was her first win on her fifth nomination at the time um and her last nomination actually i believe so uh best actor went to Robert Duvall for Tender Mercies. This was also his first win. It was his fourth nomination. Uh, Best Supporting Actress went to Linda Hunt for The Year of Living Dangerously. Uh, her first, and I believe, only nomination. And, and, also, and also she plays a man in that movie. Yes, yes. Um, Best Supporting Actor went to Jack Nicholson. This was his second win. Um, so the only one here to win for not the first time on his seventh nomination. 
Uh, best adapted screenplay went to Terms of Endearments. Best original went to Tender Mercies. Um, as you can guess, Terms of Endearment was the big winner of the night overall. Got five wins on 11 nominations it led in both of those areas. Um, it was hosted by Johnny Carson for the fifth time. Actually, the fifth time in six years. He hosted a lot during that period. Um, I know we put here th- three hours and 45 minutes long this is kind of worth noting based on the academy news that came out today uh them always trying to shorten the cat the the ceremony whatever i was reading i was reading too when i put that that a lot of critics felt that this was a very predictable ceremony and because it was three hours and 45 minutes long people were pretty much bored with it because they figured out what was going to happen pretty soon into the night Mm -hmm. yeah makes sense um, James L. Brooks was the third writer slash director slash producer to win three Oscars for the same film. Uh, so obviously a big night for him. Um, and at the time, Fanny and Alexander became the most awarded foreign language film of all time at the Oscars because it got four wins that night. Um, and some other big news, Irene Kara uh, became the first black woman to win an Oscar in a non-acting category when she won for best original song, um, which went to flash dance. What a feeling from flash dance. And so kind of a groundbreaking win there as well. So yeah, interesting. Like Christian said, it, it seems like it was pretty predictable. Um, one big winner. And of course we're going to see if it's the one that should have won or if they should have gone elsewhere. And so are we ready to dive into these movies? All right. Well, Zay, you actually have our first one here. So why don't you take us away there? Our first film is The Big Chill, directed by Lawrence Kasdan. Um, and yeah, the pitch for this movie was one of a lot of people just started talking in a house. <laughs> anyway, no, it's more than that. So it's a bunch of friends that went to university together, University of some college in the Midwest. I don't even know if it's Midwest. Um, some college. Um, and they are they reunite because one of their friends killed himself. And now they're just all back reminiscing about the old times and just talking about their lives that are not interesting at all. Um, as you can tell, I did not see the appeal of this film. That was a massive hit with a massive soundtrack. The soundtrack fucking slaps. I'll give it that. I can see why that sold so many copies and then they made a sequel to that album. But it's, it's, there's nothing else to talk about. There's a woman who wants to get pregnant by one of her friends just so she can have a baby. Jeff Goldblum's there. The big chill. <laughs> Okay. Did you like it? No. Okay. There's no, I don't, so like they're always talking, they're just talking, 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 talking. And I love movies where people are just talking. I love, give me any of those movies. I think a lot of them take inspiration from The Big Chill even. The ones that came after, of course, but especially like the 90s boom of just talking movies. But I'm watching The Big Chill and I'm like, okay you, you you like every time they would bring up a point i'm like okay but what are you getting at 
then I'd just be like at a standstill and I'm like, okay. And then they would just switch the, to the next scene. And I'm like, oh, I guess we're done with that one. And now we're just going to go fuck. By the time they started pairing off and fucking, I was just like, what are we doing? I don't. Okay. So I think I texted Brett this, but I definitely told Toby this when we were watching it. But this movie is all about how, you know, when your friend kills themselves, y'all get together and you have sex and you laugh and you dance and think, oh, hey, yeah, by the way, the friend's dead, I guess. Um, I don't see the appeal to this movie. I've never have. I've seen it three times already. I only picked this year because I wanted to see Terms of Endearment again. Okay, it's been a few years. Forgetting that The Big Chill was nominated. And I just don't like this movie at all. I think it's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. Uh, it's a very niche movie because you could have, well, like baby boomers nowadays probably fucking love this shit because they'll be like, oh, yeah, I can reminisce on my friends, you know, in the 80s or whatever. Um, Glenn Close is fine. Mary Kay Place is fine. Jeff Goldblum's there. He's in two nominated movies. I didn't even realize that. Isn't that something? I know. I was so excited when he showed up. I was like, oh, got him in the astronaut movie, and now I've got him in the house movie. <laughs> and then, like, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein's pretty good in this. Um, I don't like to talk about William Hurt for reasons that we'll talk about someday in 1986. But, yeah, this movie is cold, as in I hate it. I don't know. It's worth. It's not worth my time. The soundtrack? fine it slaps really hard it's needle drop the movie oh i texted you that day because i was like is the needle drop the right term to use here yeah <laughs> yeah it's needle Very drop so. because at every turn they're like let's put on another song and i'm like okay you think this movie like i'm trying to think if there's like a precursor to this where like just dropping a song in the middle of fucking movie just to just to have a song. To have a song. Because I like I'm also thinking like later in the 90s, like cult fiction, but at least that was like well, know. maybe this maybe this popularized that. Maybe. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's nice to see a bunch of these faces that nowadays we see throughout film and you know, they're legends in their own rights. But the overall movie itself, I don't care about it. I don't ever want to watch it again. Also, like Kevin Costner's in this, but his all his <laughs> scenes deleted. He's the dead friend. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I swear yeah. I've seen the scene before where he's in, but clearly I'm not. I have not. <laughs> yep, I pretty much agree. I didn't hate it. I mean, I don't know. I I think when I I didn't know what this movie was about. I didn't know anything about it. Um, you know, before I I picked it up from the library and. I was reading what it was about and it says like, you know, there's a bunch of friends in the eighties and they kind of reflect on their 1960s sensibilities. And I was like, Oh, that sounds pretty cool. I mean, sixties were a wild time. I people talking about what that was all about and like how things have changed. Like that sounds kind of cool, but they don't actually talk about it unless I miss something that that's not an actual point of conversation in the movie, at least not. It's very sparingly like, these are all college friends like this. is They they met at college. That's what they all go back to. That's where their roots are for their big friendships. And I don't know a single thing about what they did in college. You think like some of that would come up to like know how these friendships formed. And I mean, there's little hints, but every little hint is that 
this person wanted to sleep with this person and this person had a crush on it. Like that's the only hints we really get to what their lives were like back then. Um, Cause you would think they would all be like in the same sort of work field work, you know, like I'm a lawyer, I'm a lawyer, I'm a lawyer, but I'm assuming they all have different jobs, you know? Yeah. 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 That, and that's the thing is like, if that would make more sense if we knew how they met or, and it doesn't have to be, you know, completely, we don't need to know the whole story. I just want some indicators uh, to know yeah. why. That big issue I had, cause we just like jump into it expecting yeah. that we have to just take on face value. We're going to care about these characters by the end of the movie. And I don't, honestly, it made me think of Stephen King's it. Not necessarily like the movies, like the recent ones, but kind of like the TV miniseries of anything. Just like in the parts where like, of course, they're not being attacked by an evil presence. They're just talking about the old days. And like, I don't know if I like the similar vibe, but then I was like thinking, well, what makes that different? I was like, well, we saw them as children. And I'm like, of course we don't need like a three hour, the big chill, but I don't know, something. I think we needed some look into why they were friends back in college and why coming back together is important for the sake of this movie. Yeah. Other than their friend. I can also see when you say like you jump right into it because I also felt when they're at the church for the actual funeral, it wasn't a whole situation of like, oh my gosh, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in ages. They just all felt like they saw each other last week or they saw each other a month ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. didn't feel, I didn't, and even the way that they're talking, it's not like, oh, you remember when? It's like they're talking very, I saw you last week. You know, we had dinner five nights ago. You know, also another thing that I have an issue with, um, because I kept asking myself, how long has this movie been in terms of the days? Because mm-hmm. if these are people in my house, I want them out like day two. <laughs> I don't want you to stay this long. They have like they sit down for a Chinese dinner. Who's paying for this? Because y'all need to chip in on this. I'm sorry. I'm not feeding all of you. Plus my some of them have kids, right? Yeah, I'm not feeding my kids. Plus you. I that's a me thing. I think that is more of a you thing. I I think so. (laughs) Um, I think that's what I was getting at. That the movie didn't feel. I don't know if realistic is the word I want to go for because obviously it doesn't have to be realistic, but it didn't feel like it wanted to exist outside of its screenplay. Mm, That makes sense. Like it just felt like people saying the words that the writer wanted them to say rather than embodying like actual human characters. And I think that's where I was like the dissonance between the two. Yeah. That really got to me. Yeah, I just didn't get the point of it all. Like, I, yeah, what do these conversations mean? Like, what, what's the overarching theme here? What are they going for? And I cannot land on really anything. I also just like, I, the, the background information is really missed because there's some weird shit that happens in this movie. Like, <laughs> can I spoil the whole pregnancy wanting that? Yes, I was, I wanted to bring that up. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I, so like, there, Mary Kay Place, her character really wants to have a kid, but she's had a lot of relationship troubles, can't find someone to settle down with. So she's like asking some of the guy's friends to like 
father her child. And Glenn Close's character goes to her husband, who's played by Kevin Klein, is and is like, "Hey, why don't you have sex with our friend so that she can have your baby?" And it's just like, okay, like everybody's just like, okay, sure, like it's nothing, like nothing whatsoever. And it was just like really, really weird. And I think if you're gonna do something like that, it's okay to do that, but like provide some context for why this isn't like a weird thing that I don't know. That was just a really strange sequence to me. That was just like, okay, totally normal here. But, and they look so happy too in bed, which is I know. also weird. Yeah. He's just I like, Oh, we're doing this. Okay. I thought it was kind of cute. Oh. I think that was the one moment where I was like, all right, that was, the, that felt more human to me that they were just like, Oh, we're just going to do this thing. That's kind of, you know, I don't know. You know, I will I, say the biggest Oh, sorry. You go ahead. I, it's not the act itself that bothers me. It's the way it's treated like nothing. Like yeah. I, I struggle to see where that wouldn't lead to a deeper, maybe more intense conversation before it happens. One close this character like try to say something like that, where she was like, "I don't think it's as easy as you want to like." What I forget what she said, but she said something to that same thing, and then the movie was like, "Shut up, shut yeah. up. We gotta, we gotta end this." This goes this goes back to me hating the fact this is all centered around their friend dying. And then you totally forget that that's the reason they're all together too, is because one of their friends has died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead we're like, yeah, can your like husband, I don't know, put his seed in me <laughs> before I go. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to say, I want to say two things. First thing I'm just realizing now I'm going onto the Wikipedia page. This is inspired basically all the comedies of the early nineties that were all about <laughs> friends. I'm like, you know, 30 somethings. Um, including the show 30 something, but there's a show that my parents watch called a million little things, yes. which is a plot of a group of friends, their friend kills themselves and they all have to realize that, you know, friendship isn't a big thing. It's a million little things. That's the same plot. Second thing back in the eighties um, posters were super wild. They had like the entire plot synopsis of the movie. I just want to read this to you. First of all, look at the poster. Glenn Close has the hugest forehead in this thing. (laughs) But it says, how much love, sex, fun, and friendship can a person take? Now, you think that'd be it. That'd be the perfect quote. No. The story of eight old friends searching for something they love and finding that all they needed was each other. You think that's it? No, no, no. In a cold world, you need your friends to keep you warm. Like, and I I feel like that's a lie too. Like, that's not how I, I don't know. That's not how I leave the movie. I also don't think this is a comedy. No, I don't either. Why am I supposed to laugh? Yeah. I did like some of the performances. I, I actually think William Hurt's the best one, honestly. Um, I did like Mary Kay Place and, and Glenn Close to a degree, but I don't know. It's certainly not enough to carry a bad script. I also do like the um, washing the dishes scene. That's that's pretty iconic. My only thing is maybe, maybe it's just our age and maybe this will somehow make sense to us in 20 years that we're not getting now. Maybe. 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 I'm, I'm not holding my breath, but maybe. Can I read Roger Ebert's little, little blurb? Hmm. 
Yes. So he gave it two. He gave it two stars. Uh, let's see. So he has said it all has it has all the right moves. It knows all the right words. It's characters of all the right clothes, expressions, fears, lust, ambitions. But there's no payoff. It doesn't lead anywhere. I thought at first this was the weakness of the movie. There's also the possibility this is the movie's message. Again, two stars. Yeah, I don't think it's that deep, honestly. But I don't know. Maybe, like Zay said, maybe I'll get it in 20 years. All right. Um, Well, do you want to go over what this one or what this was nominated for, I should say? Yes, I shall talk about what it was nominated for. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress, and Original Screenplay. That's it. And it somehow got the Best Picture nom. Over Silkwood, but we'll talk about that later. (laughs) I think mostly, I think the Oscars given into the mainstream, it was such a massive hit. They were like, well, we just got to give this one the Best Picture nom. That makes sense. It was the no way home, no way, nowhere, no way, Spider, <laughs> Spider Man of 1983, or the uh, Cinderella, Camila Cabello Cinderella of 1983. We should say that's James Corden. <laughs> James Corden Cinderella. Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, are we ready to move on to our next one? Next one is the laugh riot of the season. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Zay, why don't you take us away on this one? No, oh, this one's even worse. <laughs> Why did these? Why'd you leave me with them? Anyway, <laughs> Christian got the only good one you can describe. It's because some of us speak up. <laughs> and I was texting y'all while I was in line at Arby's. <laughs> All right. Well, our next film is The Dresser. Directed by Peter Yates, based on uh, Ronald Harwood's play of the same title, starring Albert Finney and Tom Courtney, Courtney, Courtney. Y'all know? Oh, I think it's Courtney. Courtney. Yeah. Um, As a character only known as Sir and his dresser and uh, the titular dresser um um, sir seems to have a lot of dementia and his dresser has to deal with that and then sir needs to do his last perform not his last i guess they're not planning it as his last performance but it becomes his last performance of uh king lear um there's a blackface joke in there somewhere um yeah, and then uh, I'm pretty sure the dresser is gay for Sir. Um, yep, that's the dresser. <laughs> God, this is so bad. This is, oh, it's like, okay, okay, okay. So, Sir is this great English actor, and he's been so like highly acclaimed. He's known for all these Shakespearean plays, um, but he has really deteriorating mental issues, severe, just plain awful. But the movie doesn't know what to do with that. And I'm guessing that's also maybe the problem with the play. I don't know. I know nothing about this play. Um, but the fact that is, 
it's so over the top. You would think this is, it has comedic beats so many times where I'm like, was I supposed to laugh at that? Because I almost laughed at that. Him putting it on blackface and then he's like, no, sir, no, not a fellow. Mm. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm like, oh my God. So I'm like, when it's a subject matter that heavy and everyone is playing their characters so over the top, like more so than any Douglas Sirk we have covered on this podcast. <laughs> like, I'm just like, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. <laughs> I'm just like, this This got a Best Picture nomination for some reason. I wish I could go back to 1983 Twitter and see the explosion of this, because holy shit. Um, yeah, I... This is actually kind of similar to the to Big Chill because like there's a lot of talking without saying much of anything in this movie. Um, a part of it, it, it's like most of it is just the two characters like going at each other in the dresser trying to get the actor ready. And then another part is like they're just like literally putting on the play um, and throw in some like random ass backstage stuff uh to continue the movie i guess but yeah i uh this one was rough it was, it was a tough sit um really dull just like i said the conversation i i just don't think the conversations go anywhere i don't think there's anything really strong or deep about this it's a, a another story of an actor gone mad basically is like what it's trying to be um yeah, the fact that both of them got best actor noms doesn't surprise me whatsoever, but oh, that's awful. I mean, they're it, it's bad. I'm sorry, but when I think of this movie, what comes to mind for me is this these two screaming and like it's like gibberish. It's like rah, 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 rah. like that's what I think of when I think of this movie for some reason. Like I can't remember anything they say. I just know they scream back and forth at each other and it is like overacting like few things I've seen for this for this type of movie um yeah i yeah i don't have much else to add it's 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 a tough sit it, it's certainly I, it's not one of the worst movies that i think we've covered but it's it's a tough sit loved it loved everything about it loved the acting brilliant you love the blackface i wasn't gonna say that <laughs> I thought about saying that as a joke, but I thought, do I need to say that? That doesn't seem right. No, um, I agree with both of you. It's, yeah, I'm just glad that this is a two-hour thing because I, if this is like two and a half hours, I don't know if I could push it. I barely paid attention to most of it. And I'm sorry if you're out there and you love this movie, but psh, yeah, okay. Um, no, it's just very, I don't know. It's overacting as hell. They're both nominated. Ugh, who cares? Um, I really want to see the remake, though, with Anthony Hopkins and Ian McKellen, because I like both of them. And I kind of like when I was watching this, I was in, I was picturing Ian McKellen more so. And then thinking of like Anthony Hopkins doing the father this last year uh, and seeing like, oh, he could probably do this role pretty well. So I'm kind of interested in that. But other than that, I don't have any more to add. I ugh, this movie's there. 
I don't know. It's a hoity-toity British movie. What more do you want? The one time I wish I watched the wrong version. <laughs> I think I told you too. Don't watch the wrong one. So that's my bad. <laughs> no, I said I point. I I I saw it first. I saw that there were two versions. <laughs> I got excited, though, because I didn't know who was in this one. I was like, oh, shit, they got Ian McKellen and Anthony Hopkins. And I saw the year and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's that's the dresser. Yeah. <laughs> also, when I OK, let me say this, because I've seen this movie on I, like I've never seen this movie. I've seen it on, you know, TV. I'm pretty sure it's the remake and I've heard of it because it's been nominated. I always thought, and I shit you not, this isn't for laughs, this isn't for jokes. I thought this was about like a dresser, like where you put your clothes in <laughs> that was passed down from generation to generation. <laughs> I didn't think it was a literal person who dresses another person. I love, I love it. Yeah. I kind of wish it was. I know. <laughs> it kind of would have been a better movie. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what the plot would be, but you know what? I don't care. I literally said I dress a, dr- a wardrobe that passes down from generation to generation. <laughs> That's it. That's oh, grandpa died. Now it's yours. Oh, you died. Now it's your son's. Two hours. Oh. Somebody, somebody call Hollywood. We have an idea. The dresser too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it was nominated. Zay, do you want to say what all was nominated for? It was nominated for more Oscars in the Big Chill somehow. It got Best Picture, Best Actor for Albert Finney and Tom Courtenay for Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, know. something else about this movie. I It is weird that it got in because I was looking and like every other movie made like at least $8 million at the box office. So they were like, you know, made some money. This made like 500 K. So like, I don't know. They must like, they, they must've truly just really liked it or thought it was something special because like domestically. Yeah, I, I think so. Okay. Well, Wikipedia is saying it made 5 million worldwide. So I wasn't sure. Oh. I mean, I'm sure most of that's UK, but probably UK. Yeah. Let me see. I'm not sure where I saw that. Yeah, where's your source? I don't know. I, I looked it up this as we're talking about. I looked it up as I was watching the movie. So Let's I'll see. find it. Also, again, with the poster situation here. Oh my god, that poster's a mess. May I? There's two versions. I'm going to read you the short version. This is the new thing. It's reading the posters. Tom Courtenay is the dresser, the wardrobe man devoted to the star. Albert Finney is the star, the actor devoted to himself. You would think that's it. No. The story is about their friendship, the tears, the heartbreak, the joys, the fears, the devotion, the dreams, the dresser. That's not it. What happens backstage is always true drama and often pure comedy. Comedy. And then the, the second, the second poster is just like all the fucking praise from this movie. Oh. <laughs> I will say I still like these posters more than most of the posters come out nowadays. So I guess we should count ourselves lucky. That's true. 
Yeah, I mean, those they are fun to read because you can stand there for five days reading these things. And then it's on your mind. Yeah, so on the Wikipedia page for yeah, it's domestic. Yeah. On the Wikipedia page for that year's Oscars, it says Terms of Endearment was the highest earner with 72 million. Big Chill made 52, Right Stuff 15, Tender Mercies A, and The Dresser 562,000. So, not a US hit, I guess I should say. I mean. But yeah, that's The Dresser. Any further thoughts on that before we go on to our next one? All right. Well, our next one, I think, will be a bit of a turnaround, maybe a lot of a turnaround. This one is uh, probably the, you know, the technical um, achievement of the nominees, I think, would be the way it's seen in some ways, um, but also a really nice human story, and that is The Right Stuff. And so this was directed by Philip Kaufman, and simply put, it's the story of the Mercury 7 astronauts. And so for anybody who may not be familiar Mercury seven were like the seven pilots um, from Navy Marines, the air force uh, test pilots who were brought in um, to basically test out and take part in the first space flight by the space flights by the U S um, this is at the time when the space race with Russia was a huge deal. Um, Russia was beating the U.S. in pretty much every regard in the space race to start off. And so this was kind of the U.S. response to that. And so this tells the story, um, not just of how that formed and how it came together, but of the pilots, the men who took part in this. Um, so you've got characters such as um, John Glenn, um, Jack, let me see their names here, Deke Slayton, uh, Gordon Cooper, names that at the time were really big, um, kind of, you know, considered heroes by the United States. And so the film kind of follows their journey and how they were selected. Very, very comprehensive look at what they did. Um, and at the same time, it also kind of follows Chuck Yeager, who was a test pilot, broke the sound barrier, big name. Um, but was not selected because he was not college educated and kind of has his own thoughts about everything that's going on. Um, has a really great cast with Sam Shepard, Ed Harris, Scott Glenn, uh, Fred Ward, Dennis Quaid, Barbara Hershey, among others. Um, so pretty loaded ensemble. And I think they all do really good work. And really this film is three hours and 15 minutes long or a little less than that, I think. And when I say comprehensive, I mean, it covers a lot. It, it goes like starting off with the breaking of the sound barrier all the way through the entire Mercury missions. Um, I enjoyed every bit of it. I was never once bored by what was going on, um, not just because of the space flights, because those are actually pretty spread out. But I really think the human stories that it tells are really interesting. Um, for me, especially for amongst the ones that they really try to focus on it was pretty easy to see how they were different from each other um it doesn't feel like it's just one stock character throughout uh but how they come together and how they kind of realize that we're in this together it is very much like 
from their point of view. In fact, the the public officials in this movie are kind of almost like lampooned in a way. Like LBJ and some of the others come off as like total idiots in this movie, which I kind of love. Um, so it almost like kind of satirizes it a bit, um, which is kind of interesting. And really like kind of on one hand, it says, you know, these guys were basically just test dummies in some way, but also what it took to to go into this where nobody, at least in the U.S., had done it before, kind of the bravery that would come with. I mean, also the way that they did establish themselves and kind of force their way in to make this the way they wanted to do it. And I just found it to be a really interesting story, and I was pretty much glued the entire time. Yeah, I... I actually did not expect myself to really like this movie, given it's kind of a historical drama, biopic kind of thing. Not my genre at all. Um, definitely a movie. I didn't expect it to deal with the like propaganda machine of it all very well either, but it did. And given the runtime, I was like, holy shit, is this going to be the most boring thing ever? And it wasn't. So I was really surprised by how much I actually ended up enjoying this movie. Um, I liked my favorite part is how it wasn't all like like they did some experimental things with like footage. Like they mm -hmm. really liked to like especially when they were doing like stuff with the rockets they used like actual footage along with like different like filters and different sound effects and I was like oh this is all like there is real thought put into this rather than let's just make it as like as if people were there in the real thing and I really enjoyed that there was at least a vision attached to this that I didn't expect there to be giving that the last two films we just talked about didn't seem like visions were acclaimed at the time um, and I enjoy that it was comprehensive to the point that five minutes of this was devoted to jacking off. <laughs> um, yeah, which I also did not expect to be in this film, but glad it was included because, you know, we just need to have it all in there. <laughs> um, but I also like that it kind of like, normally I I would hate a movie that had so many narrative plots going through where some of like my this point being where it comes to mind is anytime the housewives came up like after the initial like there was some drama there but like when the paparazzi kept wanting to get pictures of the housewives and like interview them it almost turned into screwball comedy in some points and I think that was a nice levity to add in there that I really enjoyed. I also thought that the drama occurring with the housewives, I feel like a lot of that was like what um, Damien Chazelle watched this movie and was like, I think I'm going to focus more on that in First Man, um, which I'm surprised Brett didn't even whiff at First Man, his favorite movie of all time. That's why I didn't whiff at it. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I was very surprised by this film. It's quite good. Quite, It's worth a sit because 
I think I remember, Brett, you said in your review on Letterboxd that it's not that you don't feel the three hours, but it, it is well filled. I don't, I'm misquoting you, but you said something to mm. that. Yeah. Like it, yeah. like it, it did feel like a long movie. Like it, it wasn't like a, to me, it wasn't, a, it wasn't like a three hour movie that felt like it was actually two hours. Like, no, it feels like it's three hours, but it's a good three hours, a really good three hours. So, bunch of boys. <laughs> Thank you. I had to throw that in. Um, I liked it again because I've seen it before and I told Brett like it held up for me a lot. Um, it is very comprehensive. I will give it that. Um, it was weird. I was thinking about Zay during the part where they're masturbating because I'm like, oh, you gonna eat this shit up. Um, <laughs> I need to see you like unexpectedly that comes up and you're like, wait, what? especially because it's dennis quaid i'm like oh no. thank god you got the good one right and it's like good looking dennis quaid like when yeah, he was, yeah. Oh, yeah like super crazy. young but no i liked it a lot um i definitely was considering like reading the book too at some point i just don't know how technical that would be because i know i don't know how i feel about that but uh, when you two were talking it kind of reminds me how i felt when i first saw like jfk for example, because JFK mm. is a long movie like this, and it's one that you don't think you're you're not supposed to really look like you're going to care about it. Like, oh, it's the technical stuff. Like, oh, breaking the sound barrier. Oh, how we got to space. Oh, the mathematic and the science behind it all. But then you're watching, you're like, okay, this is interesting. Oh, that's how that happened. Oh, Sputnik is in play. Here's how we felt about it. And like Brett said, like the more government officials are seen really behind shadows too. I like that. Mm about it because i mean i watched it the way that the tv in this house is positioned is the sun hits it because somebody doesn't want to move it <laughs> um but so like the scene where like jeff goldblum is there and it's with um eisenhower mm -hmm. i'm like wait am i like is it because of the sun's glare or am i actually not seeing eisenhower and for the most part you don't see him i mean he pops up just a little bit face wise and then he goes back into the shadows because it's like, you don't need to know these people. Like, you have to think of this as, a, this is a top secret mission they're going on. But yeah. yeah, I did like the comprehensiveness of it. I was reading some of the, is this accurate or not? I guess mm -hmm. a lot of the, the men involved didn't think it was too accurate in some places. Um, and then the family of the one guy who opened the hatch too soon in the ocean, they were all not for this movie. Yeah. So there's some stuff there, which I mean, of course, go go i don't know i don't know how to feel about that because their own it's their own story so they they're really the ones who know what's going on yeah yeah um but also my my little last point here uh the rocket that broke the sound barrier that prop replica is in the cosmosphere in mm. Hutchinson, kansas yeah which yeah and they probably don't know what that means it is a it is a science museum dedicated to like space stuff to aircraft um you walk in there and there's a gigantic like uh space shuttle essentially and then there's a museum down below where they have props for movies and actual like memorabilia it's really cool we stop there all the time to use the bathroom on our way to western <laughs> kansas because they have nice bathrooms there but i have not been into the museum since i was like a kid yeah but again the good bathroom stop because you walk in and you're like damn i gotta pee the command module from Apollo 13 is there too. Yes. It's, so there's like, it's pretty cool. 
there's a shit ton of movie props there. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, what about the cane from Citizen Kane? Has that ever been there? <laughs> God, you need to leave. <laughs> no, yeah, I I was excited for this one just because I mean, as as Zay pointed out, I I dig movies about space travel and like men having issues in space, but um, I the space scenes to me were really fascinating because. I, it is kind of the the technical one of the nominees, but also it's and it does have a lot of that. But I don't think it relies on that a whole lot. I mean, I think the scenes where they're up and they're flying or they're in space, it's thrilling. But it it's mostly thrilling because it focuses on them. Like I think of the scene with John Glenn and he's in orbit and it's heating up. Like a lot of that is just like focusing on his face and. I don't know. I just like how it maintains the the character, the human sense in those scenes, because it very easily could have not done that. Uh, but it it never loses its focus in that way, which is kind of cool too. Yeah, I don't think it would have worked without the human element, because otherwise it would have just felt like someone reiterating their book report. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, this one did have a lot of Oscar success. Um, it got four wins on the night for film editing score. I really enjoyed the score, by the way. Um, of course, the sound and sound effects editing, those are were probably like shoe wins. Um, it was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Sam Shepard, who's really good in the movie, cinematography, and art direction. Do you know who did the cinematography on this? I should, but I don't. It was uh, Zoe Deschanel's dad. Oh, yeah, Caleb Deschanel. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting there, but you're right. The score is pretty good. Yeah, I, I did want to ask last thing because it is a big cast, and I think all like all the guys have their own moments. Did y'all have a, a favorite, like a standout from the cast? Dennis Quaid. I'm I'm agreed to I'm a quaid uh, Denison's over here. Wow. The what? Did you know he Denison. has a podcast? Does he what? really? He has a podcast called the Denison's. Oh my god. Did you know he's gonna play Reagan in a movie? Ugh. Oh god. Is Adam McKay doing that? No. <laughs> the guy who directed Soul Surfer. Oh, and cats, and cats and dogs three paws unite. <laughs> Amazing. I need. I need to go. Movies <laughs> are canceled. We don't need them anymore. All right. Well, any further thoughts on the right stuff before we move on? I, I want to end with this, that uh, it is a long movie, right? But after two hours, it didn't feel like two hours because I had like I had checked, mm. right? And I was like, oh, shit, two hours gone by already. So, yeah, it's it's good. Awesome. Oh, and for the hell of it, the poster is like something to do with the future. It's like four words. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how the future began. There you go. Boom. Yeah. Good poster. Good poster. 
one of the posters one of the posters is just them standing and i'm not a huge fan of that one but there's a really good one that's a little bit more artistic that i really like all right next is a movie that i can only describe as a brett movie it is a Brett movie. I was very excited for this movie. Um, the one we're talking about is Tender Mercies. And this film stars Robert Duvall in the lead role. He plays Max Sledge. He is a former country music singer um, and musician who finds himself in a kind of rundown little town in Texas. After a drunken night, he wakes up in a hotel room and kind of just realizes that he kind of wants to turn his life around. So he ends up working for um, a widow named Rosa Lee at a gas station. And she basically says, you know, if you're going to work here, you can't drink while you're working. And so that kind of leads to him trying to better his life. They end up, of course, falling in love. They get married. He becomes kind of a father figure to her son who never knew his dad because he was uh, killed in Vietnam. Um. Outside of that, it's also about Sledge kind of dealing with his family issues. Uh, he does have a somewhat estranged wife named Dixie, who's played by Betty Buckley, who has a really lovely singing voice, I will say. Uh, she can really sing in this movie. Um, um, you know what else she can sing at? She can sing Memory from Cats, her Tony-winning performance. There you go. <laughs> um, but also his very estranged daughter, who I... He hadn't known since she was really little. She's played by Ellen Barkin. Her name's Sue Ann. They kind of come together and try to start mending things throughout the film as well. And that's pretty much it. It's pretty much just that personal journey for him. Like I said, I was really excited for this movie. Uh, country music singer, fall from grace, trying to work back up. Like, yeah, Christian was right. That's my shit. And I did enjoy the movie, but I was also a little bit disappointed by it um it's a very quiet movie and i think a lot of times that works really well especially for like a, a character study like this i think this is actually one of those cases in which it's it's a little too quiet um there's not quite enough conversation for me especially between mac and rosalie and I, I think there's value in it because they, they kind of enjoy each other's quiet company. But also, I, I really want to know, like, what really drew these two to, like, get married? Because that happens really quickly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I, I feel like the movie, it has interesting ideas, interesting concepts, things that I would typically enjoy. But it the only way I can think is it's just lacking the oomph. Like, it, there's nothing really, like, strong pushing it it's it's kind of lacking a sense of direction um so i do enjoy it. i think it's a good movie i think it's one that could have been great and it's definitely not that uh what i will say is that you know robert duvall won best actor for this i don't have an issue with that uh, i actually think he's really good in the movie um like i said a very quiet performance but he does a lot just kind of with his eyes and with his small mannerisms and the silent moments that I think really work. Um, granted, I've got a lot of other performances still to see, but as of right now, I don't have an issue with that win. I do have a an issue with its screenplay win because I think the lack of real drive in the screenplay is what keeps the film from being what it could be. I feel like 
I don't have a strong opinion about this movie. I watched it and then I was like, yep, that was a movie. Like, it definitely gives me the vibes of like most dramas about musicians that it's just like, oh, this guy's pretty sad. Well, he used to be pretty good at this, didn't he? Well, let's see if we can get out of this. Oh, that's the movie. I'm just like, yep, I've seen this movie before. And um, like almost any indie movie that's come out in the last 20 years has the same screenplay about some musician. And I'm just like, yep, it's a movie. I don't know. I think Robert Duvall is good at, you know, so at least that's at least carrying at some of it. But after watching it, I was just like, yeah, I have no strong feelings one way or the other about this. Um, <laughs> even though I'm a much bigger country music fan than Brad. <laughs> I can't argue with that. I mean, most of my music recs come from Zay. So I, yeah, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue with that. I <laughs> and I still can't get Brett to listen to any Broadway songs, can I? I was a country music fan before, a very big one. I figured out Brett's taste, so I know yeah. I stuff that he'll like. I'll figure out both y'all's taste. <laughs> Is it my turn? Yes, yeah. it's your turn. Oh, okay. Hey, um. I just want to say the little fun fact that I have is that Horton Foote, who wrote this, also wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, and he didn't show up for the uh, 62 awards because he didn't think he was going to win. I mean, what was going to fucking win screenplay against Mockingbird? <laughs> so, um, so he showed up for this and he did win. He not expecting to win anyone. Anyway, um, yeah, it's, fi- I, it's fine. I don't care for it as much as I used to. I, even then, when I did like it originally, I was like, oh, it's decent, you know? But now I'm like, it's a little too quiet for me. Um, I was like full on expecting, I don't know. I think I'm too used to seeing something in the 80s like um, Coal Miner's Daughter or other more biopic type country mu- music movies, even for like Walk of the Lion in the 2000s, instead of like, oh, washed up singer, you know, has to settle down, don't sing, don't uh, drink, daddy keeps singing, no, I'm retired from that. I don't know. I think Robert Duvall is perfect for this role, though, because he mm-hmm. seems to me like a quiet man as it is. <laughs> So there's that. I really like Ellen Barkin in this. And I also like Betty Buckley. I think that they were two pretty good. They were mm-hmm. great in this, actually. Um, I will say Betty Buckley was my highlight. Sorry, did not. No, I mean, I totally agree with that. Um, and they're just like, they're really brief couple of scenes, too. But I, I don't know if I should spoil anything, but she has a very heartbreaking scene near the end of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take what you he doesn't die. Don't worry. He's still the main <laughs> guy. I mean, I don't know. Um, but I also remember when um, Crazy Heart came out with Jeff Bridges like 10 years ago, and it was compared heavily to this movie. And like Jeff Bridges and his win was compared heavily to Robert Duvall's win because it's similar storylines of like drunk, mm-hmm. washed up country singer trying to find his place again in life. And yeah. Oh, you know what movie I just thought of? Country Strong. I knew you were going to say that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the 
best film of 2007, eight. Whenever that I was. And. Oh. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've never seen it, but damn. I think you got it at one. I'm, this is probably my second, third time bringing it up on the podcast. <laughs> so whenever we get to that year, you're oh, it's it, happening. We know it's happening. <laughs> Good lord. The first time I bring a legitimately bad movie to <laughs> by on purpose. Also, uh Wilford Brimley. I just wanted oh, to yes. mention him because he's Wilford Brimley. I yeah, so he's in this movie. But uh, no, I actually, I agree. Uh, Betty Buckley, I think she's really good here as well. Um, brings like a little more life to the film and her scenes. So yeah, I, I definitely get that too. So you would think for a movie that's kind of low key, it's only like 90 some minutes. It's very, you know, the Wikipedia page for this movie is long. <laughs> I'm like, I'm scrolling through this and I'm like, wait a minute, there's themes in this movie? Like, we, I'm on love and family, religion, death and resurrection. Like, this is a long term paper. Right. Like, I didn't think this movie had that much uh, to warrant like a long ass Wikipedia page. Well, it comes off as very like low budget too. Um, I mean, it looks like it was made for 4 million, which like, the big chill and ten or uh, terms of endearment were like eight million. So, I, I don't know how it, it's not like super low budget, but that's kind of the feel it has, um, and the way it looks and the way it's constructed. I guess it wasn't that like universal, or whoever distributed did not have that much faith in it, so they kind of pushed to the side until it got like traction with awards and stuff. Huh. Yeah, I'm still on the page. <laughs> <laughs> uh this was directed by bruce beresford um australian director i'm pretty sure he came up in that class that christian and i always mentioned when peter weir comes up oh, um but yeah that's it if it, it, it doesn't spread it kind of feels like an australian western type movie um but it did get two oscar wins like i said for robert duvall best actor and the original screenplay Three additional nominations for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Song, which was Over You. Hmm. Um, also, Robert Duvall and Robert Courtney tied for the Globe. I did not know that. Interesting. And shout out to Kansas City Film Critics. Looks like we awarded it Best Film along with Terms of Endearment and Best Actor. Very nice. Literally, folks, after you go watch this 92-minute movie, give yourself a night and a glass of wine and just go through this entire Wikipedia page. (laughs) It's much longer than it should be. God, it is long. Wow. All right. Well, any further thoughts on Tender Mercies before we go on to our Best Picture winner? Um, I... This is this isn't canon, but this is a personal theory. Oh my god! Um, last year, uh, there was a, a Lifetime Christmas movie starring Reba and the guy from um, Dukes of Hazard, and it was called Christmas in Tune. And I think it's low key a remake of this because 
uh, this the Dukes of Hazard guy, his career is like down the drain. And it's only when he gets back with his former wife, who's still a country superstar, that he gets his career kind of back. And I, I think there's a lot of themes. I think they took a lot from Tender Mercies. I'm looking this up now. It's what was it called? Christmas in Dune. <laughs> oh, Reba playing Georgia Winter. Georgia Winter. <laughs> Sounds like a stripper's day. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. All right. Well, Christian, your time has come. Take us away with our best picture winner. People are like, where's Christian? Why hasn't he said anything? Okay, here we go. Come to laugh. I got to read this. I got to zoom in here. Come to laugh. Come to cry. Come to care. Come to terms. Terms of endearment. Our Best Picture winner, 1983, directed by James L. Brooke. The story of two women, mother, daughter. First, we shall talk about Aurora Greenway. She is a rambunctious older lady played by the one, the only, the legendary Shirley MacLaine. And she, let's quote unquote, loses her daughter to another man. Her daughter played by Deborah Winger. Emma Greenway Horton is the character's name. Deborah Winger sort of an up and coming actress at this time really just coming off like her nomination for an officer and a gentleman the year before. So, you know, she's the big named ingenue. Also, we'll talk about this later. She's first built in this movie. I'll get to why I bring that up. Anyway, so the story tells about how Deborah Winger's character marries um, Jeff Daniels, who's in this also, like super young Jeff Daniels, and they are living in Texas, but then he gets a job in Iowa um, at a college, and so they have to move away. This is sort of the, this is the first time that Aurora and her daughter Emma have been apart from one another. So it's sort of a big shift in all of that, in being without that strong mother-daughter dynamic, even though sometimes they do butt heads with each other. Aurora is very, I would say, headstrong. She, she tells it like it is, but also Emma is a bit like that as well. Um, so back to Aurora, she then gets a new neighbor who is an astronaut called, and this is like the best name ever, Garrett Breedlove. Okay, yeah. Played by the one and only Jack Nicholson, because, you know, God love him. Um, but she sort of strikes up a, a friendship with him that turns, you know, lonely older woman, lonely older dude who's also like a playboy, you know stuff happens there um but yeah they strike up a friendship on the flip side deborah winger is having some sort of a fling with john lithgow i'm giving a lot of this plot away but you've had like almost 40 years to see this damn movie um having sort of a fling with john lithgow who is in this movie and um jeff daniels is having his own little fling it's just a it's a bunch of relationship issues between those two until that is emma gets sick And her sickness brings everything sort of at a standstill um, with her and her husband and the whole relationship problems they're having. And with Aurora, whose whole life is now being turned upside down by taking care of her daughter and the fear that she might lose her. And then what happens to her children, um, her grandchildren, I guess, in this case. And yeah, and it just it's. It's an amazing movie. I've always really loved it. Um, Shirley's amazing in this. Deborah is 
amazing in this. So, like I said, Deborah Winger's first build, I, and you can all disagree with me, I don't care. I honestly think that if anybody was getting an Academy Award for lead actress, it would be Deborah Winger. She does the, for me, the bulk of this movie, while Shirley MacLaine, if she was in supporting, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Shirley is the name behind this because, you know, she's like the legend. They're both equally great. This is a weird all about Eve case where you have Betty, you have Anne. Who are you going to vote for? I'm voting for Deborah in this case. Again, both terrific. Um, Shirley, I, you know, honestly, I will say this. Deborah has, to me, the bulk of the first half of this until she gets sick. And then Shirley really takes charge and command in the latter half of all of this. And then you have Jack Nicholson doing his thing, which is really fun. You have Jeff Daniels, who's also actually really good in this. I think Zay, you mentioned in your review, like, why wasn't he nominated? And I totally agree with that. Um, but it's a character you just don't love. But anyway, um, it's really good. It's funny. It's heartbreaking. It's it's a film, y'all. And I kind of grew up with this. Like my mom really likes this movie. And so when I first saw it, I was expecting to love it. And I did. And I still love it. And yeah, this the really the only reason why I picked 1983 to do, to watch this. And I know Zay's seen this. So I want to hear from Zay first. And then I want to hear from the other one. The other one? Um, so... When did I first, I think I saw this back in high school because it was part of like the 1001 movies you needed to see before you die. And it was like one of the few movies in that book that I could check out from the library. Um, Cause we weren't allowed to check out rated R movies. Um, so, um, and I really liked it back then. And then I rewatched it a few years ago and I didn't like it as much. Christian brought that review back up to me. <laughs> but I think I don't know what mood I was in when I saw it. I don't know. But I really it really touched me again this time and really seen like I, I think I got watery eyed a couple times. Like um oh, what the specific scene I'm thinking of is when um uh, Deborah Winter's character is in the hospital and Shirley MacLaine is at the hotel or whatever it is. It's it's by the pool and um she's like on the verge of breaking down and then just jack nicholson's character comes back out of nowhere to come and support her and i'm like oh my god <laughs> that was the first time and the second time is the obvious one um but yeah i think first of all i think it's wild that this was like the the highest grossing movie in america of 1983 um so such I don't know what the marketing campaign was, but they did a great job. Um, probably the whole you'll laugh, you'll cry, blah blah blah. Um, I do agree with Christian that I think they're both like definitely Deborah has the first half and then Shirley has more of the second half. I think that it's both of their movies. And to bring back the Jeff Daniels thing, I think it was kind of shitty he didn't get a nomination. And John Lithgow did, because I'm like, I don't know. I understand he's a very, not a likable character whatsoever, but like Deborah Wainer's character also has a lot of moments of unlikability. I guess in this case, we can be thankful that misogyny didn't have a hand in that, but I don't know. I still feel bad for uh, Jeff Daniels, who did still a very good job, I think. Um, and 
I'm not saying John Lithgow didn't have a good job, but I just didn't think he had much of a presence as much as Jeff Daniels did. So I just think that's weird. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's just because it has such a genuine emotion to it. It never feels like it, like it's very over the top because of course it's like a, a cancer story by the end, but I think it earns all of the emotion that it strives for. And I think that's what makes it work the most because you think of how much story they pack into this movie. That mm -hmm. isn't that long. It's just a little over two hours. Um, you think it would just be a mess because they've done, because this is based on a book and you have to wonder like what they've ripped out of the book in order to make it fit into this movie. And you can kind of see it in the editing of like, how much of this time in their lives that they include and how much of this time and how it all comes to a standstill once she gets cancer, which I think that the use of time in that way is very effective, that as soon as she's sick, time does stop. Um, so maybe that answered my thing right there. Um, though I did have a wonder if like, not that, not that I would, think a remake would be better but I would like to see like I was thinking of like how Todd Haynes did Mildred Pierce as a six episode miniseries how a six episode miniseries of a terms of endearment would go and like have like each episode kind of be like those time in their lives because I think that would be very interesting that would be good because you like you're saying like they cut out so much of I think a lot of Emma's story too because those, like her kids, you suddenly get from one kid to then you have another kid and then you all of a sudden have like the third kid. Mm -hmm. And it's like, where's all that? Like, did they have fights? Because clearly they have fights because you see them fighting, like her and her husband. And like, mm -hmm. did one of the fights result in her getting pregnant with another kid to keep the marriage together? Same thing. And like, how did Aurora feel? Because you know how she felt with the first grandkid. Like, oh, I'm going to be a grandmother. Well, what about the second and the third? That's ah, some Hollywood. <laughs> because she yelled at them at one point that having another kid isn't going to fix your relationship yeah so i think those fights did help fill in some holes but only to so so much degree all right brett what do you think wait before you do let me just say let me just before you suck the joy out of this <laughs> <laughs> before you hurt me somehow jk i know what your opinion is here um there's a golden girls reference and because Rose and uh, Dorothy's lesbianese, her friend, her Lebanese friend, go see this. And Rose is crying. She's like, I saw Terms of Endearment and Love Story double feature. Because it's a tearjerker. Okay, go. Yeah. Um, this one, I... To me, this movie got better as it went along. Uh, like it started it did i it did because i think as it not that it was bad i'm not saying it was bad it was like the movie started out really good and it just kept getting better um just because i think as the movie goes along i just feel more and more connected to the characters um i will say when it started i was like a little bit nervous because i was like okay this is really this is good but is this like the great movie that i fear like people love and like was this like great best picture winner as the movie went on I, I began to see why 
I also will say this is the one like big negative thing I'm going to say about the movie. I hate the score. I do not like the score whatsoever. Um, it like at times even took me out of it just because it seems like a typical like I you, sentimental 80s, 90s film score that was like out of a, you know, assembly line. And I think that's part of why in the beginning, because it's used a lot in the beginning. And I was just like, got to shut the damn music off. Um, anyway, now that that's out of the way, I, yeah, as it goes along, I begin to like really like Aurora more and more despite her flaws. And I especially really like Emma more and more because she's just really, really likable. Um, and I think, I don't know, the film just like, it continues to build on them you know, the characters get more depth as it goes on. And so at, by the time it reached the end, yeah, I'm like really, really sad and really feeling a lot of emotions. Um, the scene that really got me was little uh, Teddy at the, the, by the hospital bed, not specifically like her talking to them, but like when he's like looking through the door for the last time that tore me apart. That's something um, that really works. Those kid actors, they got me. Yeah, Especially they're good. The- the daughter oh my god yeah the, the the i was gonna say the kid actors are really good in this movie um they deserve some credit that kid's name is huckleberry fox by the way which is freaking awesome <laughs> um so i don't know huckleberry fox that kid low-key my mvp um no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger are, yeah, both fantastic in, they make so much sense as a mother and daughter because they're so different, but also so alike. And I think that's why their dynamic works really well. Um, I agree, Christian, with a lot of what you said. I, I think, you know, having to choose between the two, I would choose Deborah Winger just because I think her performance is a little bit more varied um as the film goes along where i disagree with you i would have a real problem if they put shirley mclean supporting like that would be pretty egregious to me i think they're very much both very very much leads because they both have things that are going on separate from each other in addition to what they have going on together but um still shirley mclean is is really good she's she's fantastic um jack nicholson is really funny in this movie his first scene, it was almost like uncomfortable to laugh at because he's being such a douche, but like his facial expressions are just like, it's just something Jack can do. Um, I love that he's in this movie, but he doesn't take away from anything because like a big name, I mean like Shirley McLean, obviously, yeah, super big too, but like a big name, like Jack Nicholson and stuff, but he's literally a supporting role. And it's not like you watch and you're like, are you sure he's not a lead? No, he's like a damn supporting role. Mm-hmm. Like he goes away for a while and he comes back and you're like, oh yeah, he's in this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A true supporting role. Um, and I agree. Like, yeah, the, the Jeff Daniels snub wouldn't seem as egregious to me. Like you said, if if John Lithgow hadn't got in. The, the fact that they went with him over Jeff Daniels is really weird to me. Um, yeah, cause I think Daniels is, is great and just does a lot more in the movie. So yeah, that's kind of weird to me, but anyway, uh, uh, yeah, great screenplay, like fantastic screenplay, James McMurtry, you know, wrote the novel. And so it's kind of a cool 
adaptation in that way. Um, it's it's funny the scene where like she's talking to her friend about like we can talk about my cancer in the next very next scene. I hear you have cancer. That had me like rolling. Uh, and there's some scenes that are just kind of funny like that. So yeah, it's really good. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, okay. It's kind of spoiling whatever. This movie's on Hulu or Paramount Plus, whatever you have, go watch it. But the scene where Emma, you know, does pass away, and it's literally just her staring at Shirley MacLaine, Shirley MacLaine staring at her. That is the saddest shit because nothing is said. And it's surely literally in that moment coming to terms with what she's seeing here. And it's like the acting there from Shirley in this case is so fucking good because she's looking at her and it's not like her grabbing at her. And it's like, just let go, just let go. She just like stares at her. She's like, she knows what's up. And then it happens. And she's like, she just turns away and she looks away. Yeah. Yeah. That's badass. Like that's and like the fact they make it that it's only her watching this happen. Her husband's asleep on the chair to add even more levels to that. Like, my God. And then the nurse comes in, like, so mechanically. Like, she's like, it's just another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that scene, like, where she looks away. Because this is, like, most heartbreak. one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the movie. Could have been this big moment where it zooms in on her face. And it's like, no, she looks away. Like, that's that's cool. That's That's, I imagine, really good direction for Brooks, too. So... Also, just another fun fact that um, Deborah Winger's character never tells the John Lithgow character that she's sick. Fun fact. Hmm. Yeah. Good point. Like, after all that she'd gone through with that, she never once contacted him to tell him this. I don't know. I just something I noticed this time, and I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah, I, I think that creates an even more interesting dynamic between what was going on there and what was going on between her husband and his his girlfriend. Yeah. Multiple girlfriends. Multiple girlfriends, but especially the one that he like literally moves to Nebraska for. Yeah. That's the only one we so I, I I think there's more than one, but that's the main one. Oh yeah, for sure. And um I think it's an interesting point to also add that Deborah Winner and Shirley McLean did not get along and were constantly tussling on set and the fact that they were still able to act so well. Which is funny because if you actually think about it, they don't share nearly as much scenes together as you would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the majority yeah. of the scenes shared is near the end with them. A lot of it's through the phone, which is yeah. obviously going to be filmed separately so i also wonder if it's true what they say and like shirley said like i'll give you half of this as she was going up there to accept and deborah was like yeah i'll take it <laughs> because i watched that video extensively and i'm trying to read shirley's lips and i can't if we have any lip readers out there tell me what that was really said <laughs> Well, like we said, this had a lot of Oscar success. So Christian, do you want to go over everything that it won and was nominated for? Yes. Okay. So it won Best Picture. James L. Brooks won Director. Shirley MacLaine won Actress. Jack Nicholson won Supporting Actor. And it won for Adapted Screenplay. 
It was also nominated for Deborah Winger for actress, John Lithgow for supporting actor, um, sound, film editing, original score, and art direction, which was nominated with um, Polly Platt as part of that team. I put her in there because if you listen to, um, oh God, oh, you must remember this. She has her whole podcast on Polly Platt. And I'm pretty sure she said in that episode, Polly Platt's name was read wrong. So the only time Polly Platt's name ever read at the Oscars, mm. it was read wrong. Yeah. And for whatever reason, there's a sequel to this movie <laughs> called The Evening Star. I mean, I've seen it. I don't remember it. I want to see it again. But it is a continuing story of Aurora Greenway. Is she the only re- returning? Um, I think Jack has a cameo appearance. Let's see. I mean, he's pretty far down the cast list, so I believe it. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the kid... Lewis. And then they recast they recast the friend Patsy. Was Huckleberry in it? Mm, <laughs> no, poor Huckleberry. <laughs> Damn. But it came out in 96. So there's a little, there's a big gap there. What is his name? Huckleberry what? Fox. Huckleberry Fox. Let's see what he's up to. I looked up all the kid actors. They did almost nothing. Wow. Yeah. After this. I'll also say, speaking of Jack, both him and James L. Brooks, their last appearance was together no. in... No. The acclaimed hit, oh. How Do You Know? How dare uh, you? <laughs> they, they need to like get back together and like come back and make, make something else because they can't go out on that. James L. Brooks getting that Simpsons money. He good. He fine. True. I remember I wanted to rent How Do You Know, but my dad wouldn't let me. And you know what? <laughs> You're better for that. <laughs> <laughs> That movie is so, ugh, I hated it. I hate that that's his last movie. Just make one more fucking one more. movie, Jack. I don't think he gives a shit. He was supposed to do the remake of Tony Erdman, wasn't he? And then yes, that didn't happen. That, yeah. Um, look, every time he shows up, with the, I don't know if he even still shows up with the Lakers game, but if I see him on TV, I'm like, hey, he's still alive at least. <laughs> Oh, he's not allowed at those. I remember he he dropped his homemade chili on the floor. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't I don't know the reference. What's going on here? You got to explain oh this God. one. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jack Nicholson. Sh- Zay talk. Shame. It's an onion article. <laughs> it's just him holding up a Tupperware of chili and some of his still on the floor. It's like the peak of comedy for me. Oh my gosh, I found it. I'm sending it. I'm sending it. God, I just found it. (laughs) Jack Nicholson banned from sitting courtside after spilling Tupperware full of homemade chili. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I think that joke's like 10 years old now and it still gets me. It's still funny. You know what wow. the funny thing is? The, the picture that they put looks pretty legit. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> like, he's wearing green corduroys and that chili <laughs> that chili is perfectly sitting on his pants and he looks 
at the other guy next to him like, did you do that? <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, what were we talking about? I <laughs> Something with Jack. Oh, Terms of Endearment and Jack Nicholson. Make another movie, damn it. <laughs> you know what? Same goes for Shirley MacLaine. I know it's only been like three years, but, you know, get together. And Deborah Winger, because where the hell did she go? There's a whole documentary made in the early 2000s called Searching for Deborah Winger. Because, like, if you look, okay, I'm getting to the Deborah Winger conspiracy here. If you look at her film trajectory, okay, she makes uh, Urban Cowboy, which is a big thing. She's supposedly the voice inspiration for E.T. Don't ask me that. We'll get when we get to 82, we'll discuss that in depth. Um, okay, but I would like to say I love her voice. I love a woman with just a husky growl, her Margot Kidder. Mm. Anyway, um, terms of endearment, and then she has a couple other movies, Rachel getting married, but like again, she her trajectory should have been much higher. She should have been in more, you know, for her name, for her award stuff. And then she was in like Kajillionaire, I guess. But like, let's put Deborah Winger in some more things. All right. Any final thoughts on the best picture winner in terms of endearment? Um, Out of all of them, it's the only one streaming anywhere. So that's true. It's on Hulu or Paramount Plus. Do yourself a favor. It's it's good. You'll laugh and you'll definitely cry. I agree. I think it's one of the more underrated Best Picture winners. Definitely. All right. Well, I'm actually really excited for this next part um, for our rankings. And so... um, (laughs) Just so you know, that's what I sent. Is that what was sent to us? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) That that one's the real picture. (laughs) Why does he, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is starting to look like him? I see it. Yep. I can see it. All right. Well, yeah, we're going to go into our rankings here. Um, I'll go ahead and, and kick us off going up five to one of these nominees. And so at number five, I have The Dresser. Number four, The Big Chill. Number three, Tender Mercies. Number two, The Right Stuff. And number one, I agree with the Academy, Terms of Endearment. Who wants to go next? I Oh. (laughs) Eager. (laughs) Well, do you want to read in unison? (laughs) Yes. Okay. We should have done that. All right. All right. You ready? Three, two, one, go. Number Number five. five. Number five, the dresser. Dresser. Number four, four. the big the chill. big chill. Number three, <laughs> Number three. tender mercy. Contenders. <laughs> Number two, Number two, the right stuff. Right stuff. Number one. Number one. Terms of endearment. terms of endearment. Meaning, I don't know if there was a lag or if that was intended, but it was like Zay leading Christian with what to say. <laughs> I didn't know how we were going to do it. Okay, it's going to be a nice echo. <laughs> anyway, meaning Christian, you were saying, I'm sorry. Meaning, we're all this for the first, first I'm time, the camp, the yes. first time ever, 
we all have the same rankings. For any other guest co-host who's been on here, plus the Brett and Christian era, <laughs> the same <laughs> ranking. I'm surprised. I I really thought Brett was gonna put the right the right stuff at his top. I honestly was worried about that. I all day, all day maybe. I maybe considered it, but no. I, at the end of the day, I yeah. I I just I like terms of endearment a little bit more. So all day I worried. I yelled at children. I put <laughs> ones inside. I said, I don't know things. Get out of my way. <laughs> Well, we all agree, at least as of right now, uh, that the Academy got it right in giving Terms of Endearment Best Picture from these nominees. And so, as always, we will return. We will see if it's still the number one for all of us after we discuss some more movies on our year in review. Um, So, yeah, thanks as always for listening. Rate your review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Uh, follow us on social media, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joshua Arnoldi for doing our theme music. And Zay, thank you for coming on as always. Any final thoughts from you for this episode? Uh, my final thoughts are... I have none. No thoughts. Empty head. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Christian? Give my daughter the shot. <laughs> Say hello to my What? Evil dies tonight. Evil evil dies tonight. And on that, evil dies tonight. (laughs) We're ending it there. Bye. Bye.